Welcome to the Skift Podcast, weekly conversations on global travel trend lines. This episode comes to you in partnership with MasterCard. This is part two of the conversation. You can listen to last week's episode on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today, we're discussing how to create the smarter city for tourists and locals alike. From digital payments to data-driven transportation solutions to seamless travel, cities offer the ultimate platform for improving the quality of life for tens of millions of people. I'm joined by Hani Pham, a 20-year veteran of MasterCard and its president of Enterprise Partnerships, where he is focused on bringing the company's network, analytics, products, and solutions to areas outside of its traditional payment sphere. We're also joined by Seth Schultz, the Director for Research, Measurement, and Planning at C40 Cities Climate Leadership Group. C40 is a 10-year-old network of the world's mega cities that are committed to addressing global climate change. I'm Skift co-founder Jason Clampett, sitting in for host Hannah Sampson. With me is Skift Senior Editor and Smart Cities Groupie, Greg Oates. I'll just talk about cycling. So the, the kind of the best type of transportation is the one that you use by propelling yourself. It doesn't require energy, doesn't require, doesn't create carbon emissions. Um, and ex- excitingly enough, there's been a proliferation of bike sharing schemes and, and programs in cities. So part, one of the things we do is we, we do an annual inventory and, and uh, assess the actions that cities are taking and how they're taking them. Um, and just to illustrate how rapidly this is kind of taking off, in, in 2011, when we did a survey of our of our mega cities, 83, uh, at the time in 2011, six cities had told us they were working on a bike sharing scheme. In 2013, two years later, it was 36 cities. It was a 500% increase in the number of cities in our membership that were implementing a bike sharing scheme. So one that gets to the power of our of our um, theory of change, which is cities changing, stealing, borrowing, learning from each other. There's no way that you have a 500% increase in a two-year time. That, that's leapfrogging the policy cycle. It, that doesn't happen unless you've picked something up that's pre-built, plug it into another place. So that's fantastic. And it's, which are also linkages to co-benefits and health and reduction in, in, um, uh, uh air quality, uh, bad air quality. But there was an interesting problem that started happening, right? And it was exactly to the point just made that how do you take the friction out of getting from point A to point B? Well, if if you have a bunch of bikes located in one part of the city and you rent them and you drive them to another spot, then the other people, there's no bikes there. So how do the bikes come back? What also ha- happens, which is really interesting, was if that city is hilly. Turns out all the bikes end up at the bottom of the hill. Nobody's riding them back up. So these are very fundamental practical things that 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 end up coming out of the wash of these things. And oops, now what do we do? That's where you need some intelligence. You need to understand where those bikes are, how they're moving, moving around. And you can do that through payment systems. Where are the bikes getting picked up? What are the patterns identified? Now, okay, got it. Now we need to have some process where we go with the truck and pick up the bikes and bring them back up the hill. And then they'll get used again. If we don't, that won't happen. So it's... It's that type of thinking, very pragmatic again, that is kind of changing the game on these things. And now even more cities are doing this. But on the flip side, another really interesting thing, there's cities in Asia, uh, China specifically, where cycling rates were extraordinarily high. We're talking 80, 90% of the people in the cities were actually getting around on bikes. And that was often because access to a car wasn't possible. But What's happening now is due to the increasing economic kind of vitality and the, the middle class burgeoning in China, lots of people have cars. Well, what's happened is that in the megacities in China, the cycling rate has plummeted from 90% down to 15%. 
And what we're seeing in China is almost the extinction. It's the reverse trend happening where they've been doing it all along. But now the white biking in Chinese cities is is almost defunct. Uh, and what we're trying to do now is help kind of save that that from the, that going extinct and, and bring it back and understanding why and the connections and the processes which get into even broader systemic things about design and urban. But I wanted to just add that kind of yeah, more contextual kind example. of example. I think uh, Greg, let you jump in, but the example of that, I um, will often take the ferry on the west side of Manhattan over to, to Jersey where I live, and they had a city bike station there. And about a month or two after they started the city bike station, if you wanted to go for, transfer from the ferry to the ferry bus, which until then you just walked off and you walked onto the ferry bus, you had to make sure you kept your paper ticket because yes. they were seeing people drive to the west side, park the bikes there, and then hop on the free. So it was a very low-tech solution of show me your ticket and that made sure then the people drove the bikes back right, right, right. <laughs> from the river right. yeah but we're we'll coming back to the from the user standpoint the end user until they really grasp how this can work and how it's simple that's when this starts to scale i think when there's more and more um awareness and acceptance so we're seeing like apps in vienna smile which will track the weather it will track not just the train or not just the bus so you need a bunch of different apps same thing in singapore it tracks all the different methods of transportation but all and then so if you're in point a you put in where you want to go point b and it will track the weather to determine if you can ride the bike right or if there is a hill so very very smart so i think now that these kinds of technologies are are scaling there's a lot more adoption. But what makes it interesting, interesting from your standpoint is also no one has to pay for any of this now, right? It's, it's all seamless. built into the It's the seamless. Seamless. It's seamless. And I, I, I want to build on what you just said, uh, Greg, because it's, 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 a, it's a great point. So we've got <clears throat> um, mobility for people who live in a city and mobility for visitors. So we've all experienced the phenomenon you land in a city, first thing people do is go to the cab rank. Well, we don't want them to do that. You know, there's a better way to do that. And and we all know the cities that are the, you know, the worst for, for, for making that decision. But it's a comfort thing. The airline doesn't help you. You get off and they, you know, if you get your bags, great. If you don't come back later, you know, you're stuck. So is that charming? No, <laughs> it's not charming. We all, we all know that. And we've all experienced it. But so very practically what we want to do. So one of our partners is a company called Cineverse. Cineverse sits in the middle of all the mobile companies in the world, like MasterCard does. They connect to every phone company in the world. We can literally, through one connection with Cineverse, reach every digital device on the planet in real time. Which means that when you land somewhere, if you've opted into one of these services, I can send you a message that says, Greg, I know you've landed in Mumbai. And um, you can say, great. So a couple of things. First of all, I can say... Um, your payment cards are good to go because I know that the card and the phone are together. That's something we're launching actually um, this month in the United Kingdom and very soon here in the United States. But more importantly than that, even, we can say to get from A to B, here's how it's going to work. And by the way, did you know that there's an integrated app for the city that can do this for you? And it'll be an SMS message because we know that most people when they travel don't actually turn their data services on. You know, us geeks and right. freaks do it, but most people don't. 80% of the world doesn't. So you've got to reach them on the lowest common channel. If they have the ability with a smartphone, you can download an integrated app. To your point exactly, Greg, you can take out the friction of payment. You can, because of geolocation capabilities, you can serve up relevant context-sensitive tokens, whether it's a QR code or a barcode or, you know, an NFC 
you know, uh, beam to, you know, through the phone and, you know, turn on the NFC antenna in the phone to use that. And it'll be an intuitive experience. There's lots of apps that get you from A to B. You've mentioned a couple of things about the weather and so forth. We're not competing with those apps and saying, oh, and here comes another one. We're actually working with all of them to say, how do you get them all to integrate? How do you create a unifying platform for that for them all to integrate? Platforms again, systems. It's platforms and it's standards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's so great. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I can't tell you the number of times I've been, I've landed in a country and card doesn't work. And then you're trying to make a phone call in an area, in some cases, oh. very bad cell reception, trying to make a call to a bank over hour, you know, late night. And it's just, you're stuck. Um yeah, it's it's a it's a big it's a big issue. Okay, just and a couple more questions here. That just again, since some really meaty stuff. Um, at the U.S. Mayor's Conference, they pulled all the mayors and they said, if you could have one big project, what would it be? And almost all of them said some kind of public transportation, yeah. improve pro- yeah. to get people around, improve mobility. So the political will is here in the U.S. What about globally? What are you seeing? It's worldwide? even more so. It's even more so. This is a global phenomenon. Every city in the world would probably say the same thing every city in the world. It is a global phenomenon. And I think transportation is, the it, it, first of all, it's the single biggest spend category. Number two, it's the single biggest culprit for pollution um, around the world. Number three, it's the thing that we experience more than anything else in our everyday lives. There are other things in cities that are important. I mean, we talk about waste management and Seth mentioned you know, some things earlier, water, energy usage, et cetera. That pyramid structure that we described, cost savings, demand management and the consumer experience in the middle, you can port that logic to all these other areas as well. Um, our experience is, and we're working with 40 odd cities around the world and with the C40, you know, their, uh, their constituency of 83 cities and growing. Um, I, don't, I, I mean, you, you should comment, but I don't see a single city that says, oh no, that's not interesting or important to me. I think it's a global no, phenomenon. It is a global phenomenon. There's no question. And again, it doesn't matter what type of city it is. The type of issue around transport might be different. Um, in you know, in Dar es Salaam in Africa, you know, their issue is paved roads. Most of their roads aren't paved. They need paved roads so that they get more access on them. It's very different than wanting a high-speed rail system up from Florida to New York. Um, still transportation related. Still the problem. The other unfortunate statistic too that. Uh, you didn't just mention was it's also the number one leading in death uh, of deaths is transportation. It's transportation, 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 cost, effect of inefficiencies, maintenance. And if you can't effectively move people around a city, it, it, it dies. You've, you've got to be able to do that. Um, so it is, I, I would say it's definitely a kind of a universal issue. On the good news side of this, though, I mentioned before, one of the things that we've done is, is take, done a, an assessment and created a, a process with which to assess how much control or power the cities have to do things. And transportation is one of the areas that they have, mayors have a very high degree of control. In other words, they control their streets. They can decide where stop signs go, intersections go, sidewalks go, setbacks. They can dedicate bicycle lanes. They have a lot of authority to do that. The problem, though, in many cases, they don't have the funding or the finance which again goes back to this bottom layer and any efficiency you can find any found money can go light years ahead in terms of what you can actually achieve and how quickly you can do it but the other problem we have here is is also transportation even though within the geopolitical boundaries of the city there's a lot of control a lot of transportation systems especially when we're talking about large cities they're so big and they're so important that they're more on the metropolis scale and they have regional significance and the transportation systems go far beyond just the borders of those cities and they become 
become regional, state, or national. That is where there's a big quagmire because there isn't enough coordinated uh, level of, of both policy and funding and authority between different layers of government. So we call that issue is vertical integration and horizontal integration. Horizontal integration being coordination within a city governance structure and between different departments. Vertical being between different levels of subnational government. So a city, a state, a county, a national government. And those are barriers that we need to address in order to really unlock the potential of what cities could do on the transportation side. I'd say the great example of that is New York City and the, yeah. the tunnels mm -hmm. going uh, over to New Jersey. So you have a federal issue uh, with Amtrak, you have regional issue with New Jersey Transit and the MTA, and you have local issues. And that's why it yeah. hasn't been built. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that you've established C4, this network of cities, gives MasterCard a common avenue into all these different cities to try and improve ubiquity, uniformity, Correct. a common message sure. to all these different layers of government. Well, and end user experience. I mean, I, you know, I talked earlier about financial inclusion. Once you include people, they want to move around. We want to help them move around in the most efficient manner. Yeah. And then also cities are kind of like kind of Petri dishes for, you know, I call them living laboratories. I mean, the innovation there, whether it's culturally, technologically and otherwise is that's where it's happening. So what's, what's really exciting is there we will often find a city or two or even, you know, a dozen or so that are really interested and really want to be kind of in the in the vanguard on something. And what that allows us to do is experiment and to develop in different cultures, different economic statuses, different sizes, and test these programs and pilot. And when they when they work, we can then spread that rapidly. And it, the things that don't work, we can learn about them really rapidly and improve on them so those mistakes don't get replicated in the other cities. And that's kind of where the power of this sits. Okay. And then so there's there's then there's the big topic of inclusivity, which I think we touched on briefly. But um, could you sort of talk about how that actually, how what we're talking about actually improves inclusivity in a society? And I guess people have an easier access to get to their work environments. That's sort of all part of this. Right? Well, it is. But I think there's another dimension to this. So we, we produced two reports, one of them just last year. Uh, the first report we produced a little over a year ago was sort of a, a developed worldview of um, mobility and the one last year was a developing worldview. Um, we talk about that inclusion uh, point. There's two parts of that. One is the ability to get around and access things in the city. The other actually goes to city planning, uh, which again is an area you guys think a lot about. And, that, and, and let me bring that to life in a very practical example. If you look at a corridor of transportation, the city has it within its remit to design, particularly in emerging cities, smart cities, um, to design that corridor from point A to point B so that it locates um, live and work hubs along that corridor to actually minimize the distance someone has to travel to get to work. Um, and you know, this notion of a central CBD is an old fashioned notion. It used to be like that because you needed it to be like that for a variety of services. You don't need that now. You can distribute um, if you've got effective transportation, you can distribute live and work more evenly across a city, thereby reducing commute distances generally. And changing peak times. And changing, so changing peak times, um, the layout of the city, um, changing the mix of live and work um, and spreading that more evenly, including people and giving them access um, more broadly gives you a much more sustainable um, development plan in a city that utilizes the space 
very efficiently. We heard a lot about that in Paris from a number of cities who are thinking about that and a number of public-private partnerships that are actually, you know, exclusive in that uh, in that space and a couple of companies come to mind. We covered that in Amsterdam, this idea of shifting from Amsterdam to Holland City. So now Rotterdam, The Hague, the airport. So now it's one city. So um, <clears throat> with this horizontally integrated um, platform um, for people to connect and move around so everyone's not congested exactly. because their growth is insane. Right. Right. Um, and they have to do something now, start playing now yeah. to accept that. You, you look at some of the railway stations in Mumbai, um, they get a million people a day through a single station, a million people a day. And it's because they're getting to one co point of concentration or one pinch point, if you want to call it that. Um, there's no reason why you can't distribute the activity or the businesses um, within a city to spread that load. So we can do it with technology and with real-time guidance and with, um, you know, capabilities that we and our partners, including C40 have, to both put in infrastructure and educate and share. The city can also do it by taking that to heart and thinking about its overall planning strategy for how the city evolves. Yeah, and the, just the, the one thing to add there too on this kind of issue of inclusiveness and, and, and equity, um, a lot of people are moving into cities for access to those things. They they want more culture, they want more economic growth, and they're moving in for that into that. But you also at the same time have a large disparity between wealth and and poor within cities. Transportation, whether you realize it or not, is is at the crux of this. Because what happens is, is cities in an older model where you build up the center of a city or a CBD, the central business district, it gets too expensive to live there uh, unless you're wealthier. And if you're not, you're living further out of the city into the fringes of the city, which are often the ones that have poor access to transportation, meaning you don't can't literally get to work so transportation is it's literally not to be uh, you know overly simplistic or cheesy about this it's the connectivity to the issue of equity if you can't physically get to your job because one you have to commute for three hours or two it's too expensive to do that then the purpose that you came to the city is not really being met or validated the second issue too is is proximity i think of of which is happening in in rapidly urbanizing cities particularly what comes to mind is rio de janeiro which is so they have something called favelas and the favelas are basically kind of their shanty towns or informal settlements but what's unique about rio is the topography there and you've got these majestic kind of mountains but you've got these stunning kind of most gorgeous place in the world copacabana beach you know and, and, and a very dense concentration of cities and wealth and literally right outside the window straight up built on the sides of these mountains are these favelas these and it's the 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 you know the the the, the juxtaposition between you know a high rise fancy building and a, a slum built on the side of a mountain that close to each other but what's really interesting about that is its proximity so the people there can get to the jobs by literally walking across walking from their favela into the beach and what you see there is this very fascinating mix of 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 entrepreneurs that are living in a slum that are walking across and having their own business selling drinks and umbrellas to people on the beach. It's when you have the proximity of, of work and via a short commute or simple transportation, it, it makes you think about things wholly different. And, uh, and I, I, cities have to, they have to get to grapple with this and they have to understand this. And as people are coming in for access to more of these things, again, culture, uh, economic status, wealth, jobs, if you can't move them around, if you can't give them access to those things within that city, they're going to go somewhere else. The, uh, the, the SCIF team we went to Medellin, Colombia, and mm. 
May of last year. Stunning. And I, I think it's a great example of the transportation providing opportunity for people as well as the city planning. The, the, the subway network, the, the over, above ground subway network, as well as the cable cars that accessed the hilly, basically favelas. So instead of being in a bus for an hour and a half, two hours to get to work, you took a cable car down in about 10 minutes. And along the cable car lines were also distributed services, mainly libraries in each neighborhood right. that also you could go there, not just for book, but for community things, for city services, health services as well. Um, and they spread it all out along the city. And and being there, you, you got a sense of somebody was really smart about the planning. I think in Medellin case, Medellin's case, it was the local power company decided this is the better way to do it and we'll do it because we have all the money and we've yeah. bought all the politicians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the easy way to do it. <laughs> but no, you said that, not me. <laughs> Are there, is there anything new in terms of gathering or leveraging data that you're doing in so, 2016? Yeah, so the demand management, so three things. Uh, demand management uh, that we talked about earlier is a big data exercise. You're talking about mushing together the city's data, our data, um, the transport operators' data, the various transport operators, et cetera, um, and using that to create um, predictive models on a pers on a segment of one, literally down to the individual. Now, people get twitchy when we talk about that. So let me address that very specifically. 100% of the data that we collect and that we use is 100% anonymized. So we do not keep personalized data about anybody, number one. Number two, even in these apps and when you come to pay, we develop the standards for tokenization, not just tokenization of your payment instruments, but tokenization of your personal credentials, who you are, your driver's license, details about you. So you actually never have to share those things going forward. Um, you know, if you're familiar with Apple Pay, which by the way, today, if you have a card issued by a bank in your iPhone and you go to London, you can tap that phone and use the underground system in London seamlessly. In fact, 9 million transactions uh, over the last year from digitally beyond cards, so mobile device transactions from 90 different countries in the underground in London, but it's tokenized. They're not pushing your card number. So if it's stolen, it's of no use because it was for a one-time use, discrete specific event. Um, so there is a big data play. It's very serious. Um, we have a very big data and analytics business, but again, it's all predicated on tokenization and anonymization of that data. And we're, we're really interested in this topic. I mean, um, you know, I, it's a brave new world out there on this stuff. And it, it's, I like the word you use, twitchy. Folks are twitchy about it, but it, it also, um, not even on the technology side, it's just it's just an area of unknown for th cities. And and cities, um, they they are publicly elected. The they have public money, and there's a lot of scrutiny. But there's a lot of rules for good reasons about the legislation, legislative requirements, and procurement practices of cities. Um, so, for an example, um, cities as a as a result of working with, let's just talk about New York for a minute, Verizon. Verizon, AT&T, et cetera. All these companies have their own assets and they have their own mapping of where those assets are. City of New York needs to know where those are. Office of um, OEM, the Office of uh, Emergency Management needs to know where sub transformers are, et cetera. 
So they have all that information and they have all that data, but it, it gets become, but they're now constrained on what they can do with that information and data because Verizon doesn't want to know AT&T to know where their substation transformers are and where their assets are across the city and vice versa. So there are some real serious constraints for cities about how to do this, but they are also the gatekeepers of a massive amount of information. As we were talking about before, they also don't have necessarily all the horsepower or capacity with which to understand it, utilize it, learn from it. So it is a huge area of interest for cities. One of concern, one of sensitivity, and one of huge opportunity. And I think, yet again, that is why you find C40 working with MasterCard, because we, uh, at, at the request and behest of our own cities, want to get smart on this, want to understand what the issues are, want to protect people's rights and and where they're going and how they're doing and individuals are sensitive concerned about this so then we, as cities are making forays into the space and they're, they're treading very carefully and i think we're really excited about learning and being innovative and 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 as much as educating and teaching on this issue as almost as anything else uh, uh honey and seth i want to thank you for coming today and it was a great conversation yeah pleasure thank no, you no we really enjoyed here. it yeah. thank you so very much for having us yeah absolutely